Shows on Media. This is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. I'm Emma Goswell. Time to hear from Britain's first out Muslim drag queen, Asifa Lahore. This is a good example of someone coming out twice. Asifa came out first as a gay man and then later as a trans woman. You'll have to excuse a bit of background noise in this interview. We were in central London and this particular Turkish restaurant was the quietest place that we could find near Leicester Square. I didn't always believe I was female. I, um, when I hit puberty, I kind of realised I was attracted to boys. And I guess at the time, because like trans visibility was so low, I mean, I, God, I'm chatting about like the late 90s. I didn't see any trans people around me here. Um, I was born and bred London, so I didn't actually see a lot of trans people around me. I saw a lot of gay people, um, so I just assumed that I was gay. And did you articulate it to anybody then and tell people that you were gay? Did you ever come out to your family as gay? Oh God, no. Um, so obviously like I'm from a British Muslim background. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents are from Pakistan um, and I'm proud of all those identities but when I was growing up I felt really conflicted and I felt like I couldn't be myself and coming out was God. It was never on the table. It was one thing that I don't think I would have, I thought at the time I'd never have the courage to tell my parents about me being who I am. Why? What, what did you fear the reaction would be? I think at the time I just assumed that they wouldn't understand. They wouldn't understand because um, number one in like my mother languages of um, Urdu and Punjabi, like there's no word for gay um, really? or that I knew of at the time. You obviously know that you know, the word gay exists, the word lesbian, bisexual, but in my um, home languages, I have no idea how to say it. And the other thing I, I thought, obviously, was religion would play a part. So growing up, I inherently knew that it was wrong to be gay in Islam, but I didn't know why, but I just knew it was wrong. So I just kind of didn't tell anyone. So were you actively going to the mosque? Were you actually involved in going to prayer? Yes, I mean, uh, throughout my life, I've, I wouldn't class myself as someone who's like staunch by the book Muslim. I mean, I, um, many people would consider me very bad in the sense that, you know, I, I don't pray five times a day. I'm lucky if I make the, the, the mosque once a week. Um, I fast during Ramadan and I give to charity and I believe in God. But, you know, many people would consider me quite a liberal Muslim, shall we say. So, as a child, you're busy going to the mosque and not really having this conversation. Presumably, at some point, you came around and thought, you know what, I've got the strength, this is the right time to actually articulate it and tell my parents that I'm gay. Yeah, and I'll tell you exactly when it was. So, I sort of came out in two stages um, as gay. One was when my younger sister found my diary. Uh, I was 16, she was 10. And she came to me and she said, look, I know I've been reading your diary. And I was like really upset that she had found out. I know, tell me about it. Bad sister. Really sneak into my room. But yeah, she basically kind of confirmed to me what I'd known my entire life. She was like, look, I'm cool with it. Just don't tell mum and dad because they're not going to understand and it will cause a lot of trouble. So I kept it to myself and it was only when I was like 22, 23 and I was at university and that's when I kind of came out and all hell broke loose. In what sense? 
So obviously my mum and dad did not understand what it was to be gay. At first they thought maybe there was something, you know, something wrong with me sexually in the sense that maybe, I don't know, I remember my dad actually asking me was, is there anything wrong with your equipment or something? Or are you having like, I know, right? But, and discussing so many like personal things with your mum and dad is like, cringe so it was a sit down actual conversation in the front room type thing oh not in the front room in my bedroom it was literally me my mum and my dad like I don't think they wanted anyone else to hear what was going on but they ended up basically taking me to like the local GP because in their world they thought okay there is something like medically wrong here um and obviously like the doctor who again was from an Asian background in his 60s really stood up for me and he said look um, you know there's nothing that I can prescribe your son and I understand the struggles and the challenges around like culture and religion but this is something you're gonna have to deal with as a family so I was then taken to the mosque and I ended up discussing so many things like with my imam including like There were a few things on the table. One was celibacy, which was never going to happen. I mean, at that point, I mean, I was not going to tell my folks and my community that I wasn't a virgin, but I I wasn't. (laughs) But you actually discussed this with the imam in the mosque. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, celibacy was quite... It was like, if you remain celibate and, you know... You don't have same-sex relationships. You'll be fine. Uh, that you know that was uh, that was never ever going to happen. The second thing that was really put on the table was marriage to a female, and the idea that if you marry, then it will cure you. Like, oh, you haven't had sex with a woman yet. Once you're married and you have sex and you have children, it's kind of like that side of you will you'll forget that side of you. Like, it won't it won't ever happen. So you must have felt very isolated in the sense that nobody understood what you were really going through. Oh yeah, I felt super isolated. I mean, my gay friends did not really understand. You know, they were like, oh, why don't you just reject it? Why don't you just leave the family? And my Muslim friends obviously did not really know about me. I mean, I I was living like double life. And under that pressure at the time of sort of coming out, I fell into like a really dark depression and I ended up agreeing to like... Um, marriage to like my first cousin in Pakistan and um, I was in that engagement for a good six months and did you meet this woman oh god yeah I used to play around with my cousin like when I was you know young on on frequent trips to Pakistan uh, there was a period in my life where like in my early teenage years I lived in Pakistan for three years so you know I I knew her and um, we were always good friends but you know, when this whole shebang happened, it kind of, I fell like into a really dark depression. And it was only when, you know, I, um, I was put in touch with like LGBT charities in London, where I began getting counselling and where I began getting support. Um, I began meeting other gay Muslims and other, you know, LGBT uh, Asian people. And I kid you not, Emma, up until that point, I really believed I was the only Asian gay in the village. Like, really, 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 I did. And that's a hard place to be, right? Really hard, like, because I kind of, like, felt like I was, like, a soldier at the time, battling everything on my own. And you can't, like, you can't battle all these things on your own, all these issues. Um, And it's only when I kind of, I felt like, okay, I found my people, I found my tribe. I went back to, like, 
my mum and dad and I said, look, I'm not going through with this. I'm definitely gay. You know, I'm not going to be forced into a marriage to um, my female cousin. And although, you know, my mum and dad were like, okay, fine. There's nothing we can't, you know, no one can be forced to do this. It did create quite a rift in the family because, you know, my first cousin is such a close relationship. And it stopped me, like going to Pakistan for such a long time because I was kind of a bit of a bit scared a bit ashamed a bit like why did I you know why did I do that did she accept it did her family accept it in the end not at the time but years later like you know once I'd come out and once you know I'd gone once I'd like established a successful drag career once I was out out to the world and once I went back to Pakistan like a good 10 years after that incident they understood then I mean now I've you know I've I've made amends with my cousin in Pakistan she's gone on to marry someone else and she's got like three children and the last time I went to Pakistan was God about end of last year uh, in November 2019 and literally I just was around her place playing with her kids and everything now is fine but at the time it wasn't at all. So during this time then or or sort of after it were you identifying as a gay man and going out and having relationships with men? Yeah Yeah, I ended up actually entering into uh, a civil partnership with a gay Pakistani guy that I met at university and I was in that civil partnership for a really long time ago good I mean the relationship in the whole I was in for a good 10 years mm-hmm. and you know my parents eventually kind of came round to the idea my mum en- attended our ceremony and ended up giving me away and my dad kind of years later ended up like you know forging a really good relationship with him I remember them like doing like DIY and you know there was a lot of trust a lot of love that was developed over the over the time of me coming out they, they really came round then by the sounds of it that's brilliant that they were at your civil partnership yeah I mean they were you know kudos to my parents um, I think not only did I go through such a journey of coming out I think you know my parents and my family really also had to go on their journey and I'm in a really really happy place um, with them uh, at this point in my life so that's sort of one part of your life, isn't it? But then a few years later, you announced that you actually identified as trans, right? Yes. <laughs> if, if coming out once wasn't bad enough. Um, so um, I began basically performing in drag. And that happened totally by accident. I was out one night clubbing and I saw a poster for a drag competition, entered it and kind of did really well and began getting bookings and I sort of forged um, a drag career which is still you know amazing till this day. Well I remember interviewing you the first time because you were definitely Britain's first Muslim gay drag queen. Yes 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 and you know I still perform as Britain's first out Muslim drag queen and it was during that drag career that I realized that for me it was much more than just performing it was 
You know, my drag has always been on the hyper-feminine side in terms of aesthetic, in terms of appearance. And um, Lovely nails, by the way. Thank you, darling. <laughs> it's got to be done. It's got to be done. And, um, yeah, I realised very really early on that I was trans um, and that, you know, for me, it wasn't just about performing and um, I wanted to live as female. I mean, you say early on. I mean, a lot of trans people that I speak to realised when they were children, realised, you know, as, as young as the age of four, I've spoken to people but it sounds like it was a bit more of a later thing for you and that it was somehow linked to a drag through an awakening through that art form in a way most definitely I mean I never ever kind of it never sort of clocked for me that I was trans and I think a lot of it also had to do with you know I had to deal with a lot growing up, not just the sexuality thing, but also, you know, guiding my life as a British Muslim and as an LGBT person. So it was only when I started performing in drag that it kind of, it was like a, a hand fit in a glove. Something just clicked. Did it just feel right wearing those clothes? Totally. It felt so right, like wearing those clothes and wearing that makeup and that those hair pieces and wigs that I didn't want to just... I didn't want it just to be for a night only. I wanted it to be always. But again, I, it took me a good four years to kind of come to terms with that and speak to everyone about it because the first time around was so traumatic to me that I was like, God, do I want to go through that whole coming out experience with my family and my partner? On top of being at that point in my life, I was a public figure. You know, I had done like BBC documentaries, BBC debates. I had I'd been in a Channel 4 documentary. The world knew about me. And God, did I want to transition so publicly? It was a lot to kind of deal with and, and, and decide in a way. And what sort of made me realize that I had to, had to be honest with myself was here I was talking about authenticity, about people living their best lives, their authentic lives. I couldn't lie to myself. Um, so I ended up like telling my mum, telling my partner, and telling the world that, that I, I am trans. Well, come on, speak about your family, but how did the conversation go then with your partner? Because, you know, they're with you, they're civil partner to you, as a gay man, being with a gay man, presumably. Definitely. Um, you know, I was in the classic gay, you know, civil partnership, a gay man into a gay man. And it was difficult. That was the main reason, I think, why it took me quite a while to, to come to terms with my transness, because I knew that my civil partnership would come to an end, because for him, it was all about, you know, although we're totally best friends where we left amicably um, for him he wanted to be in a relationship with another gay man and I think me transitioning and with my transition being super successful um, you know the hormones worked really quickly you know I totally understood for him it was about being with another gay man and I you know aesthetically I changed very very quickly when I was on hormone therapy it's almost heartbreaking in a way though isn't it because on the one hand you're ecstatic and you're happy because you're finally living your true authentic self but on the other hand you've lost the love of your life and you knew that was going to happen by the sounds of it oh god yeah I mean at the time I was heartbroken I'm not going to deny it I, I spent a lot of time even contemplating maybe not transitioning because of it um, but in the end you know I just took those brave steps and you know I knew that he would always be 
a, a huge part of my life it's just not you know my uh, lifelong partner um, so I basically took those steps and you know contacted my GP and began uh, taking uh, hormone therapy and I'm glad because you know three years down the line I'm in a very happy place in the sense that I'm happy with who I am. I'm dating um, at the moment other people. You know, I know he's in a long-term relationship that he's happy in. So in the long run, things have worked out. So you've managed to stay friends, yeah? Oh, God, yeah. I don't think you can go through that experience of coming out as gay, Muslim, and and dealing with all those pressures and not remain friends. And how did the conversation go with your family then? Because you'd already come out to them as a gay man and now coming out to them as a trans woman. How did that go down? So, really weirdly, it was much easier coming out as trans and Muslim than it was coming out as gay and Muslim. And and that's madness to think about this. But um, I think in hindsight, the reason being is culturally, being from a South Asian background in India, Pakistan and Bangladesh, it's absolutely legal to be trans my parents sort of understood it because you know they're well aware of of trans people in in pakistan and i think they were more concerned about my health than me you know living my life as as female i think they were more concerned about how the hormones would work and you know i started my transition in this day and age, relatively late. I started at 33. So I think they were more concerned about how how that would pan out. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think a lot of Western parents would um, stereotypically struggle more with having a trans child than having a gay child. I think they understand it more. Gay people have been much more sort of at the forefront of LGBT rights, haven't they? Gay and lesbians rather than trans people. But you're saying for your culture it was it was easier. Totally, and that's the weird thing, is that here in the West, we get the LGB, and we're just about grappling with the T and trying to come to terms with it at the moment. In the East, and I'm talking not just about South Asia, I'm talking about East Asia with uh, Thailand and Singapore and, you know, all the East Asian countries, the transgender lifestyle and the transgender way of being and living has been there for centuries, mm. long, be- long before colonialism, long before, you know, a- a- any sort of Western influence, shall we say. And as of now, I mean, it's easier to live as transgender than it is gay, lesbian or bisexual in, in that part of the world, which is really interesting because... I feel like when it comes to sexual orientation, gender, the world definitely is divided. Yeah, it's mm. fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. And I think in um, indigenous American people, yeah, have, and, have what we call two spirits, don't don't we? Two spirit people, and they sort of understand it as well. Definitely, and also I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Australian uh, Aborigines as well. Yeah. So it's it's there's a lot there in those parts of the world that where. Um, you know, for example, I'm currently going through this process of applying for Pakistani identity cards as a female. Ah. And it's interesting, I have a choice. I can, in Pakistan, you can either be male, female, or third gender. So I'm entitled to either female or third gender identity card. Oh, and what have you gone for? Oh, oh God, I've gone for female. Just because I've gone for the female, yeah. That's interesting, they see it as a lot more fluid, don't they, obviously? Definitely. And I think, to be honest, I think that's the way forward, Emma. I think, you know, with a newer generation now really, um, in many ways, probably more advanced 
uh, in sexual orientation and gender fluidity than our generation. Mm. You know, when I talk to like my nephews and nieces who are like in their teenage years, or you know, I was at DragCon uh, last month where you know I had ten-year-olds and nine-year-olds using like pronouns like they and he and she and you know really fluid and I was like wow the world is changing yeah is there anyone else that you've had to come out to in sort of terms of your career and friends that's been a, a difficult conversation I think you're constantly coming out I think every LGBT plus person will tell you that you're constantly coming out to all sorts of people um um I guess for me the big thing was coming out to my relatives in Pakistan as trans and that's only been the case I think in the last two years um, a year into sort of transitioning um, I asked my mum and said look I'm I really want to go to Pakistan I really want to go as female I really want to um, you know, tell tell the world in Pakistan who I am. And when I say the world, that really is my relatives. Um, and I think I'd say a good 80% of them are super, super, super accepting. And then you've got the 20% that, you know, we don't get invited to certain weddings anymore. We don't get invited to certain occasions anymore. And I think... I mean, you're saying that with a smile on your face, but that must hurt. It... I think, God, uh, Emma, I'm 36 now, and I think I, I've got to a point in my life where I take everything with a pinch of salt now. And, you know, if I look at and I balance things out, if 80% of my family in Pakistan are super accepting of me, I'm really not going to focus on that 20%. You know, what's the point of focusing on the negative aspects in life? Just focus on the positive because um, they're the ones that matter. That is very good life advice about anything in general, really. People focus so much on the negative, don't they? Well, come on. I mean, LGBT people and mental health, there's so mm. much that we... Uh, you know, I've really trained myself not to focus on negativities. And it's easier said than done, Emma. I mean, mm -hmm. there are some days where I wake up and I just do not want to get out of bed because, you know, it's so hard being LGBT in, in today's world. I mean, we make it... Certain people may make it look so easy, but the reality is we have to juggle so many things and so much like, you know, hatred and homophobia and transphobia. Have you encountered any homophobia and transphobia? Sort of bullying? Yes, more so here than over there in Pakistan, oddly okay. enough. And um, I think, you know, in recent years with so much, you know, Brexit and politics being so up in the air in the UK, I think it's given a lot of people permission to to say and do certain things. And, you know, that's not just with lgbt -ness, that's with anything seen as other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether you're a different race, whether you're from a different country, whether you speak a different language, or dare I say it, whether you look different you know um, I mean you've got a fantastic hairstyle may I add but I'm, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> but I'm sure that many you know um, people with your hairstyle would would get a lot of hate for all sorts of reasons and it's sad that you know that we have to deal with that well I hope not although I just I've just come from um, an office just down the road where yeah. I got misgendered by the door staff Oh, so there it goes on, doesn't it? Oh. For everybody, we all get it. Totally, totally. And it's just, it's just, you know, it's just knowing how to deal with that. And mm. I think, you know, at 36, I, I think I've learned how to deal with it. But I also know that there's a lot of LGBT plus people that still need that support. And it's important that, 
you know they are aware that there's a lot of services and people out there that can help them yeah well that neatly brings me on to my last question really which is just any advice that you would have for anyone else struggling with you know what you've gone through in terms of struggling with your sexuality and your gender identity I think the best advice I can sort of give is don't feel like you're the only one. I think for years I thought I was the only one dealing with this um, with this shit, but the reality is that even though I'm from a minority community, there are so many other people like myself. And what I'd say is don't be afraid to reach out. It doesn't matter whether you live in like busy cities like London or Manchester or Liverpool or, or what have you, or whether you live in the most rural parts of the country please don't be afraid to reach out because the worst thing I think anyone can do is suffer in silence. There are plenty of friends for you yet, are yet to make. There's so many support groups out there, so many social groups. Whether it's talking to your teacher at school or whether it's trying to find a local community group, there's so much support out there. Like, Don't feel like you have to go through this on your own. I hope you enjoyed listening to my chat with Asifa Lahore. Again, apologies for the background noise. I have to say the Turkish coffee they served in that restaurant was spectacular, though. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And if you want to find out more about this podcast, perhaps ask us a question or even offer yourself up for an interview. Well, you can follow us at Come Out Stories on Twitter or Coming Out Stories Pod on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Emma Goldswell. And Coming Out Stories is a What Goes On media production. Next time you'll hear from Tim Sigsworth, MBE. He's the chief exec of the Albert Kennedy Trust. It's a national LGBT youth homeless charity. And like many of the young people he now helps, his coming out was hard and his family were far from understanding. And after coming out of a coma in 2016, he realised who his true family really were. When I was in hospital... It was just a stream of LGBT people coming in and out. I think the whole ward were a bit like, it felt like a pride parade on some days. You know, different um, people coming in to see me, coming in to look after me. And I, I just thought, this is my family. So in a way, in 2016, I looked back on my life. I had a moment to look back on that coming out moment. And I thought, I did it the right way. I ran away from home and created a queer family and that queer family are the people that are here and I really need them.